0: Amen. Take your uh, Bible and turn to uh, Luke uh, chapter 22 as we continue working through the doctor's gospel. And today uh, I've entitled uh, the message, Something Old and Something New. Yeah, I hope everyone has the handout. You know, there's an old wedding tradition where the bride is given uh, to wear or to hold in her hand Something old and something new, uh, something borrowed and something blue, and p- perhaps if you even know that expression, you may not know the ending of it. But I have it on your sheet. And a sixpence in your shoe. How many of you knew that ending? So if, and none of the men did. I'm absolutely sure. But uh, a sixpence in your shoe. This expression comes from an old English rhyme. And it was one that uh, I knew when I was uh, a young boy, for my mother was a great reader and is today, and uh, would often talk about this. And I don't think I'm saying anything out of school, but both Faithy uh, and our Sarah uh, carried these items uh, when they were married, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. These, uh, These tokens, and these little tokens, they are tokens of love, that come usually from, uh, notice, not a dad, but from a mother, a sister, or one of her attendants, or a friend not present, uh, symbolize certain things. The old, something old, is uh, the symbol of continuity, the continuance of life. If it's from a mother, it's to her daughter, and the continuation of life through her daughter in, in the establishment of marriage. Something new uh, is the picture of optimism for the future, uh, that there is hope in something new and something to smile about in the future. Something borrowed symbolizes borrowed happinesses that uh, is given in that little token. And then something blue uh, symbolizes purity and love and fidelity, uh, something brand new. Uh, I've uh, had the privilege to conduct hundreds of marriages and weddings through my years as a a pastor, and uh, it's a thrilling thing because what happens at a wedding is that there is the creation of something brand new that never was before. And I I should say about particularly Christian weddings, uh, I agree with my professor, Tim Keller, there is, we tend to do weddings right. We often don't do a lot of things right. But a wedding, traditionally done, is done right. I mean, it, 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 it follows the pattern when God brought to Adam, he looked at him, not good, right, first time he said it, and brings Eve, and he's like whistling in all her glory. He's going like, Wah-ha! Bone of my bone flesh, he starts doing poetry. Imagine that. You know the account in Genesis 2. And uh, brings her, and that, that is the picture of that in the purity and the beauty and all of that, and in the confession, uh, the commitment before God, before loved ones uh, of uh, the wedding vows. And we tend to do that right and beautiful. But a wedding, then, when it's consummated, it's the public expression of commitment. I take, yes, I take, the public commitment, uh, and second, The uh, sexual intimacy, the consummation, that's what constitutes a a marriage, and it's something brand new. There's not too many things that are brand new. Have you ever noticed that? Solomon says that, right? (laughs) Nothing new under the sun, nothing new under the sun. But there are a few things. There are, really. A wedding, the man and a woman beginning something brand new, which is a picture of Christ and his love for the church, is something brand new the the birthing of a baby is something brand new i mean that is new the birthing of shall we say a church like what god has been doing at great something brand new a lot of times uh, birthing is messy i've seen it and i've heard great stories yeah well, i'm glad i'm a man and all of that and they're messy but the result is a joy so much so that a lot of ladies say like i want another one of them that was so much fun my, my mother had seven, you know, <laughs> this kind of thing. I'm teasing now a little bit on that. Go easy, lady. But um, something brand new. And the Scriptures say that. After all the travail a woman gives forth and the joy of a child, and the joy is unspeakable that she would say to her, her dear one later, maybe I'll go for another one of them, you know. <laughs> that kind of thing. Something brand new. Well, uh, th- our text uh is a, a very interesting setting we saw the setting last week i remind you the upper room and jesus i let me say it clearly so you understand right in the divine plan of god where we are jesus is going to be dead within 24 hours and laying in his tomb now that's that's the setting he knows this is coming it's an appointed day it's not like oh god never said it. he didn't know It's the plan of God unfolding, the plan of God. And we get to see that here, and it's thrilling. It ought to give you encouragement that God has a plan for your life. You're not the Savior, Redeemer, and you're not providing redemption, but uh, lesser, all things, God has a plan and a purpose. You live to this day because it's God's will and purpose. You live in America because it's God's plan and purpose. If you've been brought near the cross and saved, it isn't because God didn't know about it. He drew you and called you and has saved you. I trust you are. And God has a great plan. Well, Jesus now has finally come to his last night on earth. I mean, everything's about to change forever and ever. It will never be the same again. Have you ever ever been and been aware of that sense? You know, I think about that every time we have worship or every time that uh, pretty well, as you look around the room here, we will never be exactly the same ever again. People come and go. Things happen. People die. They get sick. They're in hospital. They're not able. They're immobile. They, whatever reason, right? And the exact folks that are there probably the exact folks that are here will probably never be this exact number it will never be the same again in a far greater way 24 hours before his death he is going to gather and it will be this be unique this ending and will all things there are going to change and it's going to be like a belly wash I mean, they still don't get it, the disciples, right? As often as he says, I'm going to suffer, be arrested and abused and killed, and, and then they're like, Ooh, I don't know if they're thinking about lunch or recess or what. You know, I've done that in the school and, the, and missed the exam questions because I was thinking about playing sports after school and uh, given some pretty important things going to be on the exam. They seem to be walking around kind of dead in the head, and he's, uh, now it's, this is the day, this is the moment he's been teaching them. And it's all going to change. In fact, they're all going to scatter. They're going to deny him and scatter, and they're going to run like sheep without a shepherd, even as he told them they would. It would change forever. It would never be the same again. You know, I've had even events like that in my own life. Things that, you know, you, you like to live with a snapshot, don't you? I like to think like, this is the way it is. Oh, I want it to stay this way forever. Do you ever think that way? Yeah, you go like... And the reality is, it, you can never have that. In big ways and littles, never happen. Never. We look at family pictures, family reunions. And a year ago, my brother died very unexpectedly. I looked at the family reunion last time we were And Dale's in heaven now. And Dad's in heaven. If I go back a little bit, and gone, gone. The longer you live, you see that. Go on, And here we are at this point, it's going to change forever, never the same. So what does Jesus do uh, the last night? He could have done anything, but he plans to spend the evening with his closest friends in celebrating Passover. It's going to be like we say sometimes at New Year's, right? Out with the old, in with the new, in more ways than one as we, as we see this. I mean, uh, he and they are going to share one last moment. And you're going to notice here, this is a moment of celebration. It's a moment of gratitude. It's a moment of sweet fellowship before the hour of suffering. I mean, uh, to me, there's a, 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 a whole bunch of sermons in that. I mean, it teaches us really how to face death, I think. I mean, the Lord's not morbid here at all. Oh, I know what's coming tomorrow, you know? He's not, he's not filled with gloom. He's none of that. There's a joy, there's a happiness, there's a sweet satisfaction in his life and a contentment. I, you see that here in, in the parallel gospel accounts. And he knows what's coming. We don't even know what's coming. And uh, it reminded me of my mother's old pastor, uh uh jim pastor jim andrews up at the chapel there up where you guys went when you were up at the and uh, pastor andrews planted that church by god's grace when i was in, in middle school or something and uh he, he was quite a gregarious and, and uh, god used him in a great way and uh, he'd preach a sermon and sit down and play a song on the piano and lead the congregation singing pretty amazing and uh when he, he, it was, I remember it because the same year that Jim Boyce got cancer and died, Jim Andrews, same Jim, Jim and Jim, Philadelphia and Buffalo, Jim got, he was 63, about the same age. He got, he got, pan, he got liver cancer, same, similar, and uh, within six months, he was gone. He was in heaven. And uh, he preached for a while when he was sick, and then uh, they didn't see him because of treatments and everything. And uh, finally, uh, in early November, they wheeled him out on stage. And the, and the congregation was shocked to see how he had, he had so declined. And he spoke to his people. And he said, you know, all these years, all these years, I have taught you how to live and love and serve Jesus. And now it's my privilege to teach you how to die in Jesus. And they tell me the people that were there, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And what a way! What a what a what a message! The tentacles reach even to here today. Is uh, he is exactly right? And here's Jesus. He's he's gonna he's gonna die. How I mean, what would you do if you knew tomorrow you're gonna be, your body would be in the morgue? I mean, what would you do today? What would you do the last twenty four hours? Jesus gives himself away to his disciples, celebrating. With gratitude, even before that hour. There's no morbidity, there's no fear, there's no bitterness, there's no any. It's beautiful, and it really teaches us of the grace of God, that God will give us grace if Jesus tarries, and we should go and depart and be with Him. You need never worry about that, ever. I have witnessed the saints of God from my arms go into glory, and we've sang there. And I've seen horror stories where people didn't know Jesus and were not ready, and it's horrible. The difference is enormous. Make sure you're ready, I mean, at any time. Well, our passage, something old, something new, verses 14 to 20, two observations of an unforgettable meal. Have you ever had an unforgettable meal? Faithy, the way she puts out meals, she has so many. I'm spoiled rotten, you know. She's such a good cook. I'm surprised I'm not like this, you know, like, Martin you got a wheel there? Right? <laughs> I, have to, I have to pull myself away from that table and behave myself, you know. But uh, an unforgettable meal. Two options we have an unforgettable meal directing you and I to remember what Jesus gave to save In fact, he gave his all. He left nothing back from the table, nothing. This last Passover, we're going to discover, was the first Lord's Supper. Passover would bloom into the Lord's Supper, just like the beauty of a fruit tree. Do some of you have fruit trees in your yards? Beautiful. In the spring, when they come out and they blossom like that, like in Adams County, the apple trees, and Pop, Faithy's dad used to talk about the orange blossoms in Florida, and then that blossom, that early blossom and budding, if you think of it this metaphor, that's Passover, and then that would bloom into the fruit. Like, what happened to the? And then, look, there are oranges and there are apples and there are peaches and, and cherries that, that gives fruit. Just the same way the Passover and the continuity blooms into the fruit of the, uh, of the Lord's Supper, communion as we speak, and it's the Lord Jesus himself who ties this together. So let's, let me read the text, uh, Luke 22, verses 14 uh, to, uh, to 20. Let me, let's back up to verse 13, because that's a sermon in itself when the disciples found everything, just as Jesus said. Verse 13, And they went and found just as He had said, or had told them. And that's, let me just stop. I, I, <laughs> I have to hold myself back. Just as, they found it just as Jesus said. Do you know that that, that touches everything? Heaven is going to be far greater. Why? Just as Jesus said. You're not going to say we got ripped off lord i you said it was going to be great i has not seen no ear nor heard I, this is it this is it you ever buy a car and you think wow this is really great and then things start falling apart i think i got a lemon here uh, it, ju- heaven is going to be like that salvation is like that when you do it god's way it's like that just as jesus said and you take that to the bank And it won't belly up, and it's not one of the big bangs, right? (laughs) Too big to fail, (laughs) whatever that is. Look at 14. And when the the hour came, uh, Jesus, that's he, reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant, in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me, and we'll pick that up next time. Two observations of an unforgettable meal. Well, the first one is it's the last Passover, out with the old. I'll remind you in verses 14: 18, that Passover pointed to Jesus, and it always did. For 1,445 years, that's a lot of Passovers, a lot of Passovers, 1,445. If I'm right on the year of the Exodus, I think it's plus or minus. I I subscribe to that date. It's pointed to Jesus in that great event. And yet uh, we discover and hear the heart in our text, the heart of the host, as Jesus is hosting his, his intimate friends the last night of his life. And I love the Gospel of John in this very setting because John 13.1 says, And he loved them to the end. That's another world of sermons, right? I mean, how many people break our hearts because they make promises and pledges, and they're there, and then... And it can be close or far. It can be in marriage. It can be friends. It can be family. It can be, and you may never see him again. Don't ever think the words like that. And he loved them to the end. And he knew what they were, right? He knew. He knew even that one was gonna, what was a traitor. He's sitting there at a place at the table. But haven't we all betrayed the Lord? There's another thought, right? We all, we all name the name of Jesus if you know him, and yet we go out and we betray him by our words, our actions, our lack of action. We, and, and but He holds us and keeps us, and we are his project. Praise God for that. He loved them to the end. Oh, I love that. Well, here he is in our text. He's so eager to have this meal with his friends. In the Greek, it uses the word the desire twice to show I desire, so desire to have this meal with you. I mean, it's like... It's, it's to desire on steroids. I mean, like, I really, really want to have this meal with you, my friends. And he had made plans for that. We saw that last time. He provided a place in his knowledge or, or in advance. He would not allow the betrayal to take place yet, even though Judas is looking for an opportunity. He didn't know where they were going to meet till they got there. Uh, they would never be together again like this ever again, never and also, his work on earth was almost finished. So he's desiring. And he knows he's done all that the Father gave him to do. And he's almost done. How about a finished project? Don't you love those? To be a finisher? You know, Ecclesiastes says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. A lot of people, when I, when I work out, swim at the Y, I'm coming I, I out, you know, it's like before you work out, you go like, oh, I've got to get this done, you know, ah. Uh, you know, I do it, and I'm glad I do it. And then when I leave, I'm happy, right? And they'll say, how'd it go? Hey, it's always better at the end than the beginning. The finished job. And I, I sort of like that. It drives me a little, I'm a little bit neurotic that way. If something's not finished, it drives me crazy. And I hit my list, and stays on my list until I get it done. I don't want to have Fibber McGee, a thousand things, unfinished, all that one at, get it done. Jesus is finishing The plan of the ages, the reason he came, he's going to have one feast with his intimate friends. He knows his body's going to be in a grave tomorrow, and uh, he is almost finished. He's going to enter into his great work as a sacrificial lamb of God, and it will be done. It is totalistai. It is finished from the cross, one of the last words. The triumphal cry of the general when victory is had. At a, scene, at a battle scene. And so I'm sure that was in his mind. It is finished. A job well done, nearly finished. And so he sits down and he opens his heart to the disciples. And some of you have, maybe in your home, Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. Have you, you know, you've seen that? Uh, that? It didn't look anything like that. I hate to tell you. Leonardo didn't know what he was painting. He's a great painter. I wish I had that. I wish I had that in my house. There, that'd be nice, right? But uh, it didn't look like that. He put them at a Roman. He put him at a medieval table, sitting around, passing the. No, it wasn't that at all. I've, we've had. I've had the privilege to have a seder, a Passover meal, in the old city of Jerusalem, and uh, the tables. About this high, and uh, they're big. You'd love it because they're big, like arm sofa cushions, like those big. You know, remember the bean bags and stuff? They, they were that all around. Uh, sometimes it was a U-shaped, and uh, the host would be in the middle, and you're you're lounging, you're laying back, you're you're eating the grapes, you know this kind of thing. Like, and, and, and it went on for it went on for hours, hours. And at certain points in the Passover, that they would. They would do some things and remember the four cups and this, the herbs and the leaven and all all that kind of thing. So that's the setting. It was a lot of conversation. It was relaxing. It was enjoyable. It was, uh, uh, I don't want to say it was an ultimate man cave. They're all men there, you know, and they're all reflecting. And and, and it was a joyful time, a celebration and remembering and uh, all that God did in establishing, inaugurating the nation, and they, they, they ate, the very fact that they're sitting down is a picture of free men. They weren't slaves, like back in Egypt. Uh, uh, slaves don't sit like that and eat. They, they serve. Here they're lounging, they're sitting and so on, so I don't want to ruin your idea on um, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, but it wasn't quite like that. And, uh, and so he fellowship. they ate, he begins the, he begins, in fact, the First Communion, uh, where he transitions and blooms into the Lord's Supper, and then he'll spend some time, it's his last discourse, the Upper Room Discourse. Now, Luke doesn't carry it, but you have to go to John, and you see that in John 14 through 16 that those said let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house he begins to teach this after he tells judas go and do the deed that you've so he is left now he's with the intimate 11 and he's preparing them in in detail what's going to come the promise of the holy spirit the things that are going to change in just a matter of 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 minutes and hours here because he's going to then spend time in prayer and he's arrested and executed in the kangaroo corks court system uh, of, of that day. And so uh, here he is, and, and I have on your text, he looked into the, f- uh, the faces of the men gathered around the, t- on the table that night, and his heart is full because his desire to share this with him was satisfied. He his heart is full. I, I felt a touch of this. Our kids are far away, and uh, the very rare times that we're all together. It's such a special time. Faithy whips up one of our great meals, and we're all together. We crowd in the dining room, and there's babies and bundles and, and all that. Remind me of Larry, your place that time we shared that. Was that Thanksgiving? Christmas? I mean, what, was there, 40 people there? And you let us in and enveloped us, and we felt, so, we felt the joy of it. And, and we've done it with our, the joy. It's just like, that's when you want just a picture and nothing ever to change, right? Just, if we could just, and, and you never get that. But that's how the Lord felt here. At this time, his heart was full. His work was just about done. He's, he's chosen to spend it with his, his dearest on the earth. And uh, he's satisfied, deeply content. Uh, That He has finished the the Lord's will. It's 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 a wonderful thing. It, It it is. You know, when you do the Lord's purpose and will for your life, there's a deep satisfaction. You know the essence of the Christian life is yes we have heaven and uh, we close our eyes instantly and we're in the presence of the Lord you know to be absent of body present is much better by far and all that but the, the great thing about uh, being saved and knowing Jesus is is the sweet fellowship we have throughout the day with Him and when we willfully sin and we do sin it, it hinders that even when we, we crowd and, and confess our sin, Lord, bring me back and, and forgive me. And, 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 and we get, get back to where we need to be. And we begin to enjoy the sweetness of the fellowship all the way in and, 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 and that process. And, and if we should live this many days, there's a contentment and a satisfaction. Look, you fill your life with experiences, uh, you know, read, read Solomon on that. Fill your life with wine, women, and song. Read Solomon on that. He gives you, you know, some pleasure, but at the end of the day, it does not deeply satisfy the longings of our heart that God made us for. Jesus is ideal man here, and there's a deep sense of contentment and fullness that he has in doing the Father's will, and even up to the point now, he's going to give his life for us. He's deeply satisfied Deeply. Well, Passover was always a blessed occasion. Always, always this annual event. Memories of years gone by, you know, he enjoyed the fellowship with them. It would be like our Christmas, you know. You think about um, uh, annual events where you gather with family and friends and whatnot. Typically, people will think like, well, when I was a kid, and Christmas, and I remember Dad, and you know th- that sweetness of memories like that. This, to a Jew, at that point, was the same. They would remember making the trek to Jerusalem. They would remember gathering with family and friends, way back when, and would bring back all these memories. Well, that's Passover here, and Jesus. It was a f- it was a festive time. It was a joyful time. It was it was uh, and, and it was a time to remember what God had done for them as a nation in delivering them from Egypt. And so, B, Passover looked backward and remembered God's deliverance uh, in the beginning of the nation. It was an annual feast of celebration. They would reclined at the table. They ate bitter herbs. That was, uh, that was to remind them of uh, the, the years of slavery. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm reminded they are there there are always um bitter herb years nobody has this (laughs) i've never met anybody yeah never had a problem never had a disappointment never are you kidding me you know it reminds me again of ecclesiastes you know Um, remember when times are good uh rejoice but when times are bad remember god has made the one as well as the other he has a way of weaving all that together for his glory think of joseph He's in prison for 12 years, look at that. Think of Daniel. Think of God as a way of doing that. He does that. And they were to remember the bitter years, what God had brought them through by eating the bitter herbs at Passover. They ate unleavened bread. That reminded them of their haste in which they left Egypt that night. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. Get out of Dodge! <laughs> They're kicking us out here after the firstborn in Egypt of cattle and any place where the blood was not found. The uh, firstborns died and the people were crying out, get those uh, Israelites out of the country. And they sent them out with haste. And they grabbed a the little bit that they had and they went. Well, that reminded them of that. They were to take the unleavened bread. They also consumed during their Passover a lamb that had been killed uh, for, for the meal, uh, commemorating that first uh, lamb there in, in Exodus 12 and 13. Uh, also, you should know that during the meal, there were traditionally four cups that would be raised that would have the wine in it, and at different points during the Passover, they would raise the, uh, they'd raise the glass, and the leader, typically the father, Jesus is going to take the role of the father at this last Passover, and uh, would, would uh, say a few words at the first cup in the Passover, and uh, would uh, pronounce a, a blessing and uh, would begin that, and Jesus does that. And, uh, and we, see, uh, we see these cups in uh, the, f- the first one of these cups in verse 17. Uh, now, Luke is the only one of the Gospels to note this. Um, the others don't uh, seem to make mention of it, but I, and I don't know, it's been fun to ask at the advan- early part uh, how many of you ever noticed, but in Luke, the first cup that's mentioned here is not the communion cup. I don't know if you ever noticed that the first cup, I would believe, would be I think the first cup of the four of the Passover. Remember? It's the Passover meal, that's why they're gathering and now it's going to blossom into the Lord's Supper. And the fir- and, and the Lord is at the table, he's taking the role of the father, the lead, and he holds the first cup up, the cup of blessing, and he's going to give thanks. Now, how many of you have heard in, in a number of church traditions They'll call communion the Eucharist. Uh, how many of you heard the Eucharist? Yeah, all, most of you have. Uh, anybody know where that comes from? Where's, where's that? Where's that come? What What is that? Sounds like uh, eucalyptus oil or something. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Anybody have an I venture a guess? Anybody venture a Eucharist? Give me a chance to rest my voice for a minute. Anybody? You, you know it, but you're shy. Gene, was that your hand? Oh. Okay, you, you, it's the Greek word thanks, Thanksgiving, Eucharist. Took the cup, gave thanks, Euchariste, gave thanks. And they, they transliterate the word in English, Eucharist. It's the giving of thanks. We're going to have the Eucharist. That's when they gave thanks, when our elders and deacon, when we serve, one of them will give thanks for the bread and thanks for the cup. Euchariste, give Eucharist. And it comes right from that. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He, uh, he raises one of the cups of, of the Passover. doesn't say which one. I think it's the first. It's the cup of blessing. Uh, and, uh, and in the midst of that, in our text, verse are Jesus makes a vow. He's no longer going to drink of the wine until the coming kingdom. Uh, he's no longer going to take uh, a part in Passover until uh, the kingdom in its full-blown glory occurs. And, uh, and so on that, it could refer to Revelation 19, the marriage feast of the Lamb. I'm not really sure exactly, is there going to be a, a ceremonial Passover to remember all that in glory? Who knows? But uh, at least we have this. I mean, he's the celebrating the Last Supper. He's going to die and be in a tomb in 24 hours, and all the suffering he's going to endure. Here's the point of that. Suffering is not the end. Suffering is not the end. They're going to watch. They won't believe what they're going to see. He's going to be nailed to the cross. That's not the end of the story. Why? He said, I'm not going to drink this again until. You see the hope there? You see the, see the victory there? There's a future. There's a future meal. One thing I loved about Faithy's dad is uh, Faith learned how to cook from her mother. Mother was a great cook. I learned that. Wow. And we'd be wiping up a meal and eating some of her homemade peach pie with crumb topping and icing, ice cream, <laughs> vanilla bean. It had to be Philadelphia vanilla bean. And, uh, and then Pop would inadvertently always say, uh, he'd be planning the next meal. What, uh, what, what are we going to have tonight? What are we going to have? <laughs> Am I right there? He would. Jesus doing the same thing here. He's all that's going to happen. He's going to suffer and die. They're going to be horrified. They're not going to. They're going to go into hiding. And the Lord's saying, "That's not the end. There's going to be another meal. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat or drink until that next. Wow! Oh, wow! Oh, man! Don't miss that. Isn't that great? This meal has all the characteristics I think of uh, of a farewell meal a farewell, you know, the fellowship, the joy. And uh, because I never did quote from Johnny Cash in any sermon, I'm going to do that today. I, I know some of you really love Cash, but uh, I, I can't, Johnny Cash wrote a simple gospel song once uh, that one of my authors suggested here. It captures something of the warm intimacy in the, uh, that Jesus shared with his friends around the table that night. And uh, Cash uh, wrote it, and here, here are the words he says to his disciples um, Johnny Cash, I can tell by your faces that you don't understand the awesome things you felt and seen at the touch of my hand. But someday you'll understand it when the Father means for you to. But for now, drink the cup and break the bread, and I'll eat my last supper here with you. And then the refrain. Have a little bread, Simon. Pass the wine to James, my brother. Go ahead and eat, fellas, and love one another. Have a good time, friends, because tomorrow I must die. And I'm not never going to eat with you again till we eat the marriage supper in the sky. Not bad. That's not bad for Johnny Cash, huh? Needless to say, uh, needless to say the words, go ahead and eat, fellas, uh, don't appear in any English translation that I ever saw, ever. But it does express the friendly affection and love of our Savior, and the love he felt from his heart to those that he enjoyed the Passover meal with. And not only that, Greg reminds me Johnny Cash was born in Arkansas, Greg's home state, and was <laughs> and was raised in a. Baptist home like everybody is, I guess, down in Arkansas, or most of them, right? But in any event. Well, the last Passover out with the old, and that's going to pass now because in verses 19 and 20, the Lord's Supper is going to be inaugurated. Something brand new here that never was before the, this new covenant. The last Passover would morph into the first supper as Jesus connects the two. And let's reread 19 and 20 again, so you see that. And He took bread, Jesus did, and when He had given thanks, that's Eucharist Day, Eucharist, He broke it, probably symbolizing the death of His body, and gave it to them saying, and we say this every month so we get kind of dull to what it's saying, but this would have been shocking for them. This is My body, which is given for you, Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus connects the two. There's continuity. Don't ever forget, from cover to cover, the continuity of the Testaments uh, and uh, of the Bible is Jesus. It's Jesus all the way through. He just doesn't show up in Matthew. All the way through. He's the creator, Colossians, Hebrews 1, John 1, all the way through. He connects the two. I remind you a covenant, because we don't use a lot of covenant language like that when we make contracts and things in our day. We're contractual, everything's a contract here because of the litigious society. won't like it. They'll sue you. What's the agreement? Was it signed? Who witnessed? Was it notarized? All that. A covenant in the ancient day is a bond in blood. Okay? It's a most solemn commitment that God will keep His saving promise to the very death. It always sealed by a blood sacrifice. Now, I put down Exodus 24 because you can read that. That was the inauguration of the old covenant with the nation of Israel. And uh, the the thousands of animals that were slain, and half the blood was gathered and thrown on the altar by Moses. That was a covering, a promise of the covering of their sin until the cross. And the other half, the other half, I don't know if you ever noticed, Moses took that and he threw the blood on the people. Now that's it, that's it very non-politically correct thing to do today, right? <laughs> but can you imagine standing in that crowd? Oh, I wish I wasn't in the front row there in the mosh area or whatever they call that, right? <laughs> what, a, what a bloody affair. Covenant making was messy. It was a bloody business. Uh, it was not like a signed contract, but it was sealed by blood. And the New Covenant was uh, foretold by Jeremiah 31. You can read that, 31 to 34. It was established by God's own blood, His own blood in the person of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the New Covenant. Well, Jesus took the bread, and He announced that in a symbolic way it represented His body. He took it, gave thanks, invested new and surprising significance This is my body. He gave it for them. He gave it for us. He is the substitute. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Don't you... I I find myself reading Isaiah 53 a lot. Verses 5 and 6, I just remind you, referring to Jesus, written 700 years before... He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He, uh, he, he announced that his, this would be his body. Uh, it, uh, it, now, there are are different traditions that understand he said this is my body we 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 believe that it's symbolic we uh, we make a difference with uh, those that are genuine believers in other traditions that say well uh when you take the bread it it becomes the body and there are some that say no it it is the actual body but uh, I go back, and when I read this and study it, how would the uh, disciples have understood? I mean, that's the key to Bible interpretation. How, what, 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 what was it that the original hearers would have understood? Uh, and, and none of them would have thought, like, oh, that's his flesh. They wouldn't have thought that. They would have, would have thought that the, this thing represents. It is a symbol. Uh, I mean, they, they, they knew his teaching. He said at one point, um, I am the door. They didn't. They, well, where's the knob? They no. They would have understood that to be figurative in, in nature, and that's normal language usage, and and so on. So, uh, I, I I I really, and that's why we embrace that as symbolism, and we say that at our Lord's supper communion time, do uh, that. It's uh, that it's a, it's symbolic. And yet he invested uh, new meaning into it. Uh, this is my body. His death would be like no other death. His death was the end of death, the death of death, as some of the great writers would write about. He gave it uh, for us. Now, when we say that Jesus died for us, or we say to folks, Jesus died for you, we, we don't simply mean that uh, he provided a benefit for them. We can use the word that way. But it means far more than that. It means this, folks. You should have died. He took your place. Now that changes it. It's like, well, uh, Jesus died for you and has provided the forget. Oh, that's nice, isn't that? No, you deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. He died for you in your place. Some of you like baseball and now and then they'll put in a pinch hitter, right? The strategy and all that. Chris Davis is doing so great down in Baltimore. I don't know if you're watching that. My sons are watching that, or, or Jonathan is, and maybe he's going to beat the old, they go back to the Roger Maris's record and, and all that. It's fun to watch that and, and that kind of thing. And I know, John, you guys play ball and that kind of, your boys and uh, Andy. But uh, sometimes they put a substitute in the lineup, someone else to take that spot. That's not a bad... That's what Jesus is talking about here. For you. has all the freight of that. He gave his life to them. He gave his life as a substitute for us. Wow. Do this in remembrance of me. There it is. He's inaugurating a, something that's going to be repeated. That's why we have the, institute, the uh, ordinance of the Lord's Supper uh, in the organized local church. Baptism. Go in the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them as a testimony. That's an ordinance. That's to be repeated. And here's the second one. Do this in remembrance of me, the repeatability of this. Bread, some, we know in our English language, often will say is the staff of life. So Jesus, in giving us his body, uh, is giving us something we can't live without and something we need that is, Jesus, to nourish our souls. Well, that's the bread. The bread. He inaugurates something brand new. We've heard it uh, hundreds upon times as we've taken communion. But to them, it was, brand, it was something... What, what's this? What's, what's he doing? This is not part of traditional Passover. He's, he's moving now. He's, he's fading out the old and coming into... You, know, you think of some of the tech. Technology will do that. They'll, they'll have an image up there and uh, then it'll fade out and something superimposes on it that's exactly what's going on here for jesus is the fulfillment of passover and he inaugurates the lord's supper here the first supper and then see jesus took the cup this cup is poured out for you is the new test new covenant in my blood my blood would have been shocking to them shocking we live on this side of the cross so we go oh yeah his blood Well, they weren't even, what's happening here? They were missing God. He's going to be arrested? He's going to get, what? What? Now he's talking about giving his, he'll be dead in 24 hours. My blood. You see, he he knew the plan. He was going to do the Father's will completely and in fulfillment of the type in Genesis 22 with with, uh, Abraham and Isaac. They go up on Mount Moriah. Father, where's the lamb? Where's the, where's the, the Lord himself will provide. And he didn't kill his son, did he? But there would be another day, thousands of years later, when God would not withhold, the Father would see his son himself, the Lord himself. It's emphatic and intensive will supply, pointing the figure down to this very day that Jesus would die in our place to satisfy the righteous, holy demands of god himself oh what love he died for you i remember when i was a young boy and the truth of this finally hit home in my heart i i i wept as a seven-year-old boy i knew i was a sinner and lost and under judgment and the fact that god would die in my place and i deserved that he would pour himself out it just moved me to repentance and salvation that he did it all All to him I owe. That's the gospel, pure and simple, and it's glorious. And the foundational truth of the Christian life is this, Christ's death on the cross for the life of your soul. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Paul put it in another place in, in Galatians 2. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You see, he gave his life, and our life is his life now. The early Christians were called little Christ. Christian, it's a term of scourge or mockery because they were belonged to Christ and were the hands and feet and mouth and, uh, of Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. That's why I love that Philippians 1. I've had several, if you're like me, you get several favorite verses, you know, on different stages in your life. And I have a, I, that's why I have a, this is my life verse. We used to say that and write it inside your Bible, you know. That, that I, I wouldn't cross it out, you know, like, oh, no more. And then put another one in it because that seems sort of sacrilegious, you know. Like, so I end up say, like, ah, I've got a few of them. But I, increasingly, uh, I love that um, for me to live is Christ. I love it. It's simple. It's clear. I think I can understand it, you know, and the implications of it, and God works them out more and more in my life daily. That's the foundational truth of the Christian life. Remember me. It's a two-directional look. When we take communion, we look back at the cross, and we look forward uh, to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, to say one... Uh, to say that Jesus died for you is to say something far more than that he died for your benefit. Let me emphasize that with this little illustration uh, that happened at the end of the American Civil War. There, uh, the story is told that when a man in farm clothes was seen kneeling at a soldier's grave in Nashville, Tennessee, a sympathetic bystander asked him, uh, quote, is, is that the grave of your son? And the farmer said, uh, No. I have uh, seven children, and all of them young, and a wife uh, on a poor farm in Illinois. Uh, I was drafted into the Union Army, and despite the hardship it would cause to my family, uh, I was required to serve. But on the morning when I was to depart, the man who now lies in this grave, my neighbor's oldest son, he came over. And he offered to take my place in the war. And when the farmer stepped away, the bystander could see the words he had written on the gravestone. They simply read, and I quote, he died for me. This is the testimony of every believer in Jesus Christ. We have a Savior that offered himself in our place. And whenever we we break the bread and whenever we drink the cup we do show forth the Lord's death for us until he comes. Let's close with some uh, lessons quickly. Number one when you study your Bible now make sure you see the continuity between the two testaments the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover. That's what Grace Church is about. It's all about the Lord Jesus until he comes. That's it. Say, what's grace about? It's all about Jesus. It's a good way to remember it. I saw a little clip Ron was showing me with, with our brother Mark. out. In the world. All about Jesus. I just love it. So I, you know, I sort of get that. You know, it's not too many sentences and run-ons and all. Well, what's grace? It's all about Jesus. The, you know, the Bible is all about Jesus. He's the living word. This is the written word. It's a, real simple. Cover to cover, and, 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 and Stanley would say probably even the maps in Inspiration. Number two, your sin is not a little thing. We do, oh, it's a a white lie. Oh, it's a boo-boo. Oh, I made a mistake. God is holy, and the standard is 100% perfection, and we have missed the mark. Hermitia, like an archer, we miss the target of God's mark of holiness. And uh, to make atonement for your sin before holy God requires death. God sets and defines all things. And the day you eat that fruit, he said, you will die indeed. Death, death, death. And God, in his grace, provided a substitute even for our parents in that day of first sin. He clothed them with uh, the clothing of an animal that required the death of that animal as a substitute. And all the way through, it requires the death and the shedding of blood. It requires your death or the death of a substitute, your sin. And before God, each one of us deserves death. But God displayed, and here's the great news of the story, his extravagant love for us in providing Jesus as your substitute and mine. He died the death that you should have died, that I should have died. Oh, the love of God for us. I hope you never get over it. Oh, the love of God for us. God so loved the world. Agapatsu, God so loved the world that he gave. i will say it again. You can, you can give without loving. People do that. All right, they're probably going to give me a gift. I better give them a gift, right? <laughs> yeah, I know none of our men are like that with anniversary gifts. Yippee, I'm going to give a gift, right? <laughs> but you cannot love. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I mean, love wants to find a way to give, and, and God demonstrated that wonderfully, didn't he? Look at three. Always prepare your heart to partake in the Lord's Supper. We try to have it the first Sunday of the month here. We could have it every week. There's no guideline given on that. But you know the tendency of our heart, if we have it every week, it'd be like hiccups and we wouldn't even think anything of it because our minds are so dull and we do something repetitively. So once a month seems to be about right. But, and so prepare your heart especially. should every day anyway. But prepare your heart so that when you partake of the elements and participate in the spiritual, in the wonder of the Lord's Supper, you'll properly remember Him. Remember me when you do that. Number four, marvel again. This blows my mind. I, I can't get this out of it. At God's glorious, unstoppable plan of redemption. Marvel at it. In fact, uh, after Paul expresses it, Romans 1 to 8 gives the gospel. 9, 10, and 11, talk, what about the Jew when God's plan for the Jew? Is that somehow going awry? And he answers that. And he comes at the end when he surveys all of that. He's on his knees praising God. And that's where these words in Romans 11 come from. What can I say? He goes, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It ends at praise. And that's where it needs to end. Because it's the most phenomenal love story in all the universe. And number five, make sure Jesus is your Savior. If you have any doubt about that, that's why I'm here, that's why we're here. Settle this thing. He alone is more than wonderful, and he saves us to the uttermost. He does. Well, what might we say about the Lord's Supper then? What might we say? Can we say it? It's something old. It's something new. It's something borrowed all the way back to Passover. And finally, it's something blue. It's pure. It's sacred. Beautiful. Out with the old, in with the new, the Lord's Supper. Praise God. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this glorious text and I thank you, Lord, for the clear teaching that you have provided us. Thank you for the Lord's Supper. There's something wonderful about participating in this visual sermon of uh, eating the, uh, the bread and drinking the cup. And it helps us in our hurried-up lifestyles to stop, to pause, to look back, and to remember price paid for my sin and our sin. And to look forward to the blessed hope and the soon coming of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for it so much, Lord. May we think about these things and take them deep to our heart as we think about, what's my life all about? May we really wrestle with this and find great resolve, as Paul did when he said, for me to live is Christ. And I pray that for each one of us as a church and family and friends. And I know then and only then will we make the the impact on this world for Jesus that you would desire us to do. Make us a blessing, Father. Encourage us, strengthen us. We're weak and needy and need your help. Dismiss us with your blessing and put the song of the Lord deep in our heart that we might sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord all week long until we meet again. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. God bless.